0: The 2022 Australian election will be known as the independence election. Fiery women are running for office around the country. Middle class, professional, white and angry. They are running in traditionally conservative liberal seats. They are fed up with traditional politics and are calling for serious action on climate change and demanding integrity. But where did this all come from? In 2013, in a quiet region in the state of Victoria, in an electorate known as Indi, a modest local candidate called Cathy McGowan won the seat in a shock. She came to power not only because she was a powerful candidate, but because she was part of a magnificently powerful movement. Voices for Indi did things like kitchen table conversations and community meetings that ignited participation across the electorate. And this has now birthed a national movement. Today's chat is with Nick Haynes. Nick has been part of this movement from the beginning. He was part of Cathy's campaign, then he worked with her in Parliament House. And his mum, Helen Haynes, became Cathy's successor as the member for Indi. Today we talk about that story and some of the grassroots tactics that this movement has adapted from community organising and deployed in the electoral arena. We look at what it means for a grassroots movement to win and how that can challenge and change how it works. And we look at the role of place in all of this and how the hopes and challenges that arise when something that started so local goes national. Nick is part of a team writing a book about all this. It's called The People Are Interested in Politics. You can pre-order it from Laneway Press and use the discount code Changemaker. But today, let's lean into the story that's taking Australian politics by storm. Let's go. I'm Amanda Tatterson. Welcome to Changemaker Chance: conversations with people changing the world. Changemakers also produces episodes that feature stories about social change campaigns. Changemakers is supported by the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney. They break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au backslash policy dash lab. Changemakers also runs an organizing school where you can sharpen your skills to make change in the world. All the details are on our website, or you can also go to sign up to our email list. It's changemakerspodcast.org. Nick, welcome to Changemakers. Thanks, Amanda. So... It's pretty exciting having you on, on air moments before the Australian election that features a million independents. Just so everyone in our audience is clear about your kind of change-making, if you were to sum up the kind of change that you make in the world at the moment, what kind of change-maker are you?
1: Well, I guess I would describe myself as a campaigner. Uh, so I work for a uh, global organisation called Some of Us. We are about 20 million members across the world and we campaign... Oh, only 20 million? Only huh? 20 million, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we campaign to hold big corporations accountable. So we're kind of a, I guess we, we, we fit in that sort of like uh, mass mobilization, digital mobilization kind of um, model. And yeah, it's my great privilege to, to, to work there and, and, and help run campaigns, particularly around climate finance is my main focus. But I would say, yeah, I would describe myself as a campaigner.
0: Cool. So that's your day job and we love your day job, but you also, you know, by day you might campaign for the some of us, but at night and on weekends, you also do some other work. Tell us about the work that you've been doing on election campaigning. What kind of change making you've been doing there?
1: Yeah, so I guess it's sort of the the origin of where I got into this like to change making. I guess is is, is electoral politics, and as a result, it's still uh, something that's of great interest and excitement to me right now. As we're you know a, like a few days out from the federal election, uh, I'm you know spending my evenings and and some weekends. Uh, Camp- helping campaign in Indi, in the federal elected of Indi, uh, where, uh, incidentally, my mum is is running for re-election. Yeah.
0: She must be proud, man. If my kids were helping me be an independent and awesome, she must be so proud of your, <laughs> your support.
1: Yeah. Who knows? I
0: guess. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm without doubt, actually. So let's, let's find out the story, right? I'm particularly interested in the night and weekend part of your of your of your work and your work in Indi, which is a regional Victorian seat that's an um, important seat in federal politics, but tell us tell us a little bit about why you got involved in all this change making stuff in the first place. You know, not everyone needs to. Try and change the world. Where did it come from for you?
1: Yes, yeah, so I grew up in a town called Wangaratta, which is in the federal electorate of Indi in northeast Victoria. It's about three hours, three hours north of Melbourne. Grew up on a little farm there, outside of town, on the the banks of the King River. It's a very beautiful place to grow up, but. Um, you know also a place that you know in the background of my childhood there i guess you know there's if if i look back on it now i can see the kind of the through line i guess of climate change and in and you know environmental impacts kind of through my childhood there you know the, living through the millennium drought and seeing the you know river recede and um, bushfires you know season after season like i think that was sort of the beginning i guess of the of, of forming the the background i guess in my mind around what I was seeing on a local level, I guess, is is connected to something more important and larger than that. I guess, in some ways, though, my childhood wasn't probably ext- overly political. I think you know we, we we talked about politics at home. You know, we watched the news at night, but it didn't feel like often that uh, politics, I guess, extended beyond um, the front door. In some ways, in 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 one of the people i guess who was most inspirational to me is was probably my grandmother who uh, in her own very sort of quiet and non-confrontational way was you know quite a radical and i remember going down to visit her in in Melbourne in her home in the kind of pretty conservative and leafy eastern suburbs of Melbourne and she, ha- she had this whole drawer full of badges from you know anti-nuclear rallies and and a whole range of other stuff this kind of this, this kind of radical sort of pamphlets and magazines and and materials which did not really square with her, her outward appearance as a pretty polite you know lady from the eastern suburbs and so it was it was talking to her I think that that really got me interested um, particularly in climate she was talking about climate change you know long before I can you know. I I, I can I can remember it being a sort of a, a broad topic of conversation. She was she was originally a scientist at the CSIRO, but she was you know, forced to resign when she got married. As was the time, you know, as was typical, I guess, at that time. So I think, in some ways, she was she was somebody who was radicalised by science in her own way, and she had the kind of quiet impact on me around um, around the importance of politics and social movements.
0: Wow, a radical scientist who also went to anti nuclear marches was part of your political development. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like what do you reckon, how do you reckon her the, your relationship with her changed you? That's a good
1: question. I mean, I think. I mean, one of the things she was famous for, she was like a, she was a one woman kind of news clipping service. You would, whenever you visited her, you would get a stack of um, clipped out articles from the paper, and I mean, she was always, you know, completely across current affairs and news and and science as well. And I think that she certainly sort of drove into me the like the a love of kind of pouring over the newspaper and listening to the ABC. And I think that was kind of her impact on many members of the family in some ways. But I think she also showed me the, um, you know, her impact, I guess, on me was that like there's more than one way, I guess, to be a um, change maker. In her case, it was not you know, she, she was she was not a confrontational person. She was not someone who was in your face, but she had a very resolute kind of set of principles, I guess, and a, and a, and that was really grounded in science for her. And I think that had an impact on me in the sense that you know you can be you can have that you can hold these values very tightly, and also um, you know exist in the world in in, in whatever way your kind of you know your, your your relationships do. It doesn't it doesn't I guess um it there's, there's not one type of change maker or you know or radical or you know of of any sort.
0: Yeah. And you could still be that, and you could be in regional Victoria and, and hold that space, right? Like, you, you know, she was yeah, able to I, be. I guess so. But I mean, I, for,
1: for me, it did feel like, you know, that that was a separate world, you know, that politics didn't really happen in. The country that this was, you know, something that happened in Melbourne. The marches and the rallies and stuff happened in Melbourne. It just didn't really occur in the in this in the country, and it sort of and it didn't talk, you know, it didn't talk about politics at school that much, or you know, you didn't kind of. It just felt like politics didn't happen in the country. Yeah, so it it, it did feel distinct to me.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you went off to university. How did how did that experience shape your later decisions to become more involved in in political work?
1: So I guess like, I mean, I I I enrolled in an arts degree majoring in political science at Melbourne Uni and I and I and I thought for myself like oh this would be great I'll get really into student politics and you know campus politics and quickly realized that that was not a place I really wanted to be I mean I think I I, I guess my impression of campus I don't politics not want to was change the world <laughs> no I <laughs> think it, it was like linkedin kind of like resume building for aspiring politicians and it was You know, pretty nasty and uh, inward facing. So I didn't get very involved there, to be honest. I guess it wasn't probably until later. I was in my second year. I went and on an exchange program to university in Montreal and continued studying politics there. But the the type of politics that was kind of I was studying there was very different to what I was learning at Melbourne Uni, and it was it was far more practical and far I, you know more rooted in social movement theory and, and learn all about social capital and civic engagement, which were not topics I'd ever really learned about before. And so that had a big impact on me. And you know at the same time as that, when it, just as I got to Montreal. It was the beginning of the enormous student protests, which would um, essentially shut down the province there for over a year. What later became what some people call the the Maple Spring it's a controversial term but like that was an, an extraordinary time to be there where the entire province really and all the all the universities in the province bar the one I was at actually went on strike so all universities shut down um, and it was all over uh, changes to higher education fees which to me still seemed crazily cheap compared to what they cost in Australia but it was that was an extraordinary time there and it was just and it was it was seeing these enormous enormous protests. On the street, which you know went for kilometers and shut down the city for entire days. And seeing that at the same time as being in a classroom and learning about social movement theory and learning about, you know, reading, you know, bowling alone and these kind of books about, you know, social capital. And and seeing that in payout and practice on the street had a had a really big impact on me. And it felt, yeah, that 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 was a turning point for sure.
0: And so what did it turn you towards?
1: Well, at the same time as that, it was back home, my there was a there was a group of twelve people who were starting to starting to meet in a in the library in Wangaratta, kind of quiet multi-purpose room at the back. And my dad was one of those twelve people, and he was telling me about this group that was forming uh, to kind of come together and sort of discuss the quality of political representation that they had in Indi. So Indai at the time and for the kind of uh, eleven years preceding that was represented by Sophie Mirabella, who was a very controversial figure in Australian politics, and so this group of um, twelve people, including Kathy McGowan, was and one just of them. For our
0: audience who ever so she's part of the the Liberal Party. She's quite a conservative person.
1: Yeah, yes, she would be on the right flank of the of the Liberal Party, and a, a, a reputation for being quite a firebrand MP. Um, so she'd been in she'd been sort of parachuted into the seat of Indi twelve years or eleven years prior. Um, and so this group of constituents, of citizens of Indi, were coming together very quietly and very tentatively at that stage in this um, room at the library to, to discuss what could be done about the quality of representation in Indi. And so that was happening at the same time as I was learning about this stuff in Canada. And I was in kind of constant contact with my dad, hearing about these these plans as they were forming. And uh, I couldn't get wait to get back and get into it myself.
0: So, takers us- So we're in the back of the library. There are 12 citizens talking about the lack of political representation in Indi. So how did that, what did that evolve into? Tell us the story of how it turned into uh, a movement for change. Well,
1: first of all, I think the the name Voices for Indi is important because it involved a lot of talking at first, like a lot of, a, a lot of deliberative, difficult kind of conversation to, to sort of unpack what there was to do and what and, and and how it could be done, and I guess the discussion that was had in that in that room initially. Some people it initially began with a call to Kathy McGowan from t- her niece and nephew in Melbourne saying. Kathy, you're a you're a well-known figure in the local community in Indar. You need to do something about the quality of representation in Indar. We need to, there needs to be a discussion around, you know, fielding a better candidate potentially to run against Sophie Mirabella. So that was one starting point, but that wasn't the starting point for everyone in that group. It wasn't necessarily set out to run an independent candidate against Sophie Mirabella. The discussion that was had there was like Sophie has this. Sophie Mirabella had a, she was a fierce advocate for the for the things she believed in. She was a an ideologue, really, and she had a very, very safe seat in Parliament. So she was able to prosecute the arguments she wanted to prosecute very hard without... I guess really being on being on being in a safe seat meant she was kind of buffered. I guess or having to really represent the views of her constituents or in, in the in the in the views of everyone in that room. Those twelve people in the room, they didn't think that the 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 values that Sophie Mirabella talked about necessarily represented the values of the community they they knew and had been a part of their whole lives. And so, and the reason for that was being on a safe being in a safe seat meant she was she was afforded this this safety, I guess, to, to, to go and prosecute the arguments she cared about not necessarily what the views of her constituents were. And so this group, which would become known as Voice for India, said it wanted to find out what the views of the community were. Like, is, is, is it a, is, is our theory actually right that, the, that what our MP talks about doesn't really reflect the views of the constituents she's there to represent? And that was the kind of the, the launching point.
0: So, right. Firstly, that's interesting, right? A lot of people, when they approach a political conversation don't necessarily go, oh, we might be wrong, we've got to go listen to everyone and check. What? Where did that instinct, do you know where that instinct came from in the group? I mean, it's incredibly healthy and powerful. It's probably why the movement was able to thrive. Most political parties don't do that, right? They, they stay insular. You went open. Where did that come from? Why did people choose to be so open?
1: I think that's the key difference because there was not, political parties start at a shared Ideological or values basis this group didn't have that there was no common political thread connecting them there was there was a variety of political views and backgrounds in the group and they also didn't discuss what the, those views really were it was very ideology, ideology neutral and so the, the, the there was no i guess starting off point of a shared way of viewing the world what was the, what was started instead was forming a shared set of values and that was really intrinsic to the first several months of voice for Indai's kind of formulation was like agreeing on what these values were that would hold the group together, not about issues or or policies or positions.
0: Right. Okay. So so holding a space together, they wanted to go out and find out what other people thought about, you know, this idea of a political discontent, whether they were being well represented or not. How did they do that?
1: So the idea came from the Victorian Women's Trust, who during the Kennett years had run a campaign or a project called the Purple Sage Project. And Kathy McGowan and Alana Johnson and some of the other members of Rowan O'Hagan, other members of the Voices, the Voice for Inday group, were involved in the in the Women's Trust. So they they had a sort of I guess grounding in this this community organising theory, although I guess. We probably wouldn't have talked about it in that way. And so the kitchen table conversations is what is was the key kind of idea really. And so the thought was, okay, if we want to find out what the actual views and values and beliefs are of India, we need a way to consult people and and, and to bring those together. And and, the, the, and people I think were kind of wary of, you know, consultation in a tokenistic way. And so the kitchen table conversation process as kind of derived from the Purple Sage project was about bringing people together for a slow and kind of deliberative conversation there was there was broad question there was a facilitation pack provided to each kitchen table host that had a bunch of questions which didn't really have defined answers yes or no answers they were they were meant to elicit conversation and the role and the purpose was to bring people of kind of no consistent beliefs or ideologies together have this open conversation in a very intentional way uh, and make space for divergent views, and then record those those the, the notes of those conversations, and compile them all together.
0: Cool. Did you go to a you, can you tell us what it's like? Like, do you remember going to one with lots of divergent views? How has the space helped? Yeah, I
1: did go to one in Melbourne. It was mostly people <laughs> my age who were quote unquote. Later, but Cathy later became. I later came to refer to us as the Indi expats so we were um <laughs> we were mostly uni students who'd grown up in Indi and were living in Melbourne at, at now for, for study um so I did go to one and it was a it was a process I guess of, of of slowly moving through starting with kind of values questions like what do you value in political leadership like what do you think good political leadership looks like and a lot of that was around character and values and, and outlook and then that kind of moved more into kind of issues and what were the kind of things that really impacted you on a on a personal level that it was that, uh, in, you know, in that community, and I think that's those two things were the key. I guess products that came out of the conversation, aside from the kind of community organising product which came out of it, which is a whole other thing. I think what, what what those conversations led to was this kitchen table report, which really gave a charter of values and of um, leadership principles and of and of policy areas and of topics that were important to the almost five hundred people across the electorate who took part in the process.
0: So how what was the gap between when those kitchen table conversations were held in the in the next, in the following election in it was 2013 wasn't
1: it Yeah it was, this happened over the course of 2012 and early 2013 and then the election was later in 2013 yeah
0: So we're talking a quite a long period of time or 18 months 2 years worth of work
1: Yes yeah exactly and there was a lot of time before that before kind of V for I or Voices for India stepped out publicly there was this you know this long process of kind of sorting through these difficult questions of you know how to approach this and so the the, the mo- i guess the pivotal moment came when V I stepped out as an as an organization came when they met with Sophie Mirabella for the first time. So some on, on the advice of Tim Fisher, the former deputy PM, who was a, a, a relative actually of Cathy McGowan's, she went to him and talked about Voice for Indi and what um, what they were planning to do, and his advice was, well, make sure you go to Sophie Mirabella first and tell her what you're planning. You don't want to, you know, spring this on us as a surprise. And so, uh, Kathy and one other member of Voices Voice for Indio went and met with Kathy, met, met with Sophie before the launch of the kitchen table process, and, and informed her of of what. Uh, they were planning to do, and Sophie. They met in the in the lobby of her office. They had the meeting went for eleven minutes, uh, ah. and Sophie Mirabella's uh, response was: "The people of Indai are not interested in politics." Oh right. And that and that incidentally is the is the basis of the title of the book which we are now <laughs> writing about. <laughs> I, I
0: understand. <laughs> I understand.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so mostly because I mean that 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 assumption from from Sophie Mirabella about her constituents was I think a very insightful view into into how she saw her role as a representative.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'll do it for you. Don't worry mm. about it. You just get on with your happy lives and I'll and I'll take care of business. Mm. Yeah. It does say a lot. And so, okay, so you do the kitchen table conversations, you build up this sort of thick, thickening community um, set of relationships across divergent views while also getting a sense of the kind of leadership qualities and and key issues that are felt in the electorate. You write, uh, there's a sort of, you know, putting that together as a sort of document. Then what happened? How did that that sounds good, but how did that turn into you know what we now know happened? <laughs> yeah,
1: so all along there was this kind of two threads of, of of opinion about do could we run an independent candidate should we should we not there was there was kind of divergent views on that. The kitchen table conversation report really I think gave strength to the view that actually running a candidate to to champion these values these issues is the best way to get these on the agenda. So the goal was always okay we we'll pre- will we will present this charter of india this this report showing all the issues we we'll pre- will we will present that to all candidates in the election and they can all run on it. But then there was based on the kind of the feedback particularly around quality representation there was clear clear interest from the people who participated in this that they need a representative to to champion these values so out of that came a process then to find an independent candidate to to run and to to, to champion this these these issues and these values and so a process uh, over the course of quite a few weeks there was a, a, a lot of shoulder tapping going on of people reaching out to kind of local identities in the community people that they thought uh could be potentially interested in this we even or voices for Indo rather uh took out ads in the local paper asking for kind of open application of of candidates people who are interested in running for an as an independent could you apply and uh apply to voices voice for Indo and uh and we'll go through a process of kind of selecting the candidate and the process was very rooted in the values that v4i had established and trying to find someone who could be the best uh, exemplar and champion of those values and what they found was it was very hard to find someone who was willing to step up and i think a lot of that was informed by uh, a fear of retribution which is um a, a fear of a very personal and ugly and, uh, reputationally damaging campaign. Uh, and so where they got to was they could not find really anyone who was willing to, um, to, 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 to do this. And so Kathy McGowan, who at that point was the, uh, chair of voice for Indai, she said, well, if no one else will do it, I will, I will, I'll put my hand in the ring. I will withdraw myself from V4I and I will go through the same process that had been established um, independent, independent processes any other person who would had they applied for it also mm-hmm. uh, and so Kathy did um, and she was selected mm-hmm. and the through this through this process were run by the kind of committee of voice for Indo, which she had stepped out of and then yeah, later in 2013, they she's she stepped out as the as as the candidate. So Vo- Voice for Indi held a big event in Wangaratta to announce uh, that they had selected a candidate, or they had kind of uh, invited a candidate rather to to step forward. That was Kathy McGowan. So she stepped forward, and there was I, th- I think 300 and something people in the room that day for this for this candidate launch. Which I mean, I think. Is is one of the key things that that sets this apart from other independent you know plenty of independents have run in the past in Australian politics, but I think what was very different about this was this was an independent who on the first day they stepped out was stepping out with over 300 people there ready to, ready to work, ready to, ready to go in with them. And I think that was the the real difference. And and so Kathy stepped out and said, I'm I'm willing to run as an independent, I'm willing to champion the values and the issues that were stepped out that were that were set out in this report. And that was the beginning of what became a rapid snowballing campaign.
0: (laughs) And there's so much, so, I mean, even if it wasn't intentionally at the time, there's, well, it was intentional, but even if they weren't using the the same words, there's so much that's similar to how community organising talks about power and how, and how the Voices Indi did, like organising talks about building your power before you use your power and that's what you did, you know, and perhaps that's one of the elements as to why it was so successful is that you actually were so intentional about the community of people who were going to support the space before, before stepping out, and having a candidate step out. I mean, it's very, very sort of remarkable piece because I mean, it was going to be a tough battle. Sophie Mirabella, she wasn't a marginal in a marginal electorate, right?
1: Not <laughs> at she? all. I mean, Indi has been. A, a a blue ribbon coalition seat since federation. It's only it's only once in its history has it not been held by the Liberal or by the, one of the conservative parties, which was when the Country Party candidate forgot to nominate in some time in the twentieth century. There's only one time, so the Labor actually snapped it for one one term. But prior to that, it is an extremely safe seat. Sophie Mirabella was on a, a very very comfortable margin, and you're right, I think that the the, the key thing that I think. People were just not really the idea of turning up to a political rally and wanging It was not something that was really on the menu. Really, it was. It was, and I think the key, the other key thing, apart from the building, that building power before you wield it, was also getting, I guess, cohesion around that value, those values. There was not an ideological cohesion. There was not a, a worldview cohesion. There was there was cohesion around the values, and and that was that was important, I think, because people. Because the other thing that was important about this was that there was no. Uh, there was a view that in order to get people to come along we had to in some ways depoliticize it a bit we had to make the idea of like getting into an ugly fight you know an ugly personal fight to take that out of the equation in order to make it a space people felt like they would actually want to walk into and and that was that was important too i think and so one of the things that happened was that everyone who signed on then to become a volunteer of the campaign had to sign on had to sign an actual kind of you know contract really uh, a statement which 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 stepped out those values, which included never going personal never attending attacking the opposition in any kind of personal way, sticking to being our quote-unquote best selves, as Kathy would, you know, say very often. And it was kind of, you know, Pollyanna-ish in some ways, but it was like, it was important and it held the group together and meant there was never a breach of that really, you know, that the group really held firm and, and, and did stay positive.
0: Oh, they don't need to be, it doesn't need to be Pollyanna to be nice to one another, cheap as creepers. I wish there was just a bit more of that in our politics. Yeah. So, so tell us, so you know, I, I I don't want to dwell on it too much, but you know, between so that you launch with three hundred people, right? How do you take it from there to victory? Like, what what does that process look like of of, of of taking this piece of work across the electorate and 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 winning?
1: Yeah, I mean, there was it was it was really a case of building the plane as we were flying it. I mean, no, <laughs> no, no one <laughs> no one amongst us had 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 run a political campaign really by that point I, I was back in Australia and I, I was in my final semester at uni but I was like okay Well, you
0: were like it. a law student who understands all of the law right you you were an expert <laughs> no, I was, I, at that point I was
1: just I wasn't I, I was enrolled to study law the following year but that, that was in my final <laughs> s- semester of, of my undergrad and I was like okay this is boring I'm, I'm, I'm moving home this is far more interesting up here and so we uh set about kind of just building the ship as we fl- building the plane as we flew it so like the first thing was finding physical spaces and that was important we we found we got an office donated to us in Wodonga and then we opened another one in Wangaratta and then having those spaces they became the kind of organizing hubs and they are they that's what we call them they were the hubs and they were the places that Indi I mean it's it's important to understand the geography a little bit of Indi it's 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 in the northeast of Victoria so it's very mountainous it's defined by its valleys and waterways and so that and that Physical geography also underpins the human geography. I mean, people people live up these valleys and they come into one of the main towns for, you know, key services. So setting up those hubs in those main towns, so from the top to the bottom of the electorate, and it's a huge electorate. It's bigger than Belgium. It's twenty-two thousand square kilometers. You know, it's 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 and so they would set up these hubs. One by one down the length of the electorate, and they will become the kind of locus, the sort of focal point in that area. And then it was a case of really, even though we probably didn't refer to it as as such, it became a distributed organizing strategy. It was it was it was to really devolve leadership. There was very little hierarchy. Basically, the the view was like if you're signed up to the values and you stick to those go forth and do whatever you like you understand your communities best um and the people just really took to it in an in an extraordinary way and 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 started like organizing just events after events after events and the and the and the channels of people kind of flowing in and i think one of the things that made this possible which maybe wouldn't have made it possible some years earlier was digital you know organizing strategies and that and that was where i was really interested and that was what kind of kept me into this while i was at uni in canada I'd, i i was in this Doing this subject on election campaigning i was reading and writing essays on like the obama campaign and i found this political this magazine for political consultants which advertised this product nation builder which at the time wasn't was pretty new in australia hadn't really been used much and so i i set up along with one other person set up that and that really became important for us because even though we had this very scattered distributed campaign that was happening all across this electorate, everyone was being channeled back through the website and we were collecting that information and we could organise people with some central centrality, but in a way that just happened very organically and um, very rapidly kind of all throughout the electorate.
0: So you had people power in the centres, in the valleys as people came down and you had digital relationships that were connecting this distributed network. You clearly had a lot of passion on the ground because people were prepared to drive the change on their own. Do you remember election night?
1: yes I sure do uh, <laughs> it was I mean in in the final week of the campaign there was this there was this poll that came or well, two things two important things happened prior to this one was that a letter got leaked an email got leaked from Sophie Mirabella's camp which said showed that she was being outgunned and outflanked by the far more active McGowan campaign and that was the ke- first keynote which gave us national attention and gave us an insight actually maybe maybe we could do something. But that being said, I still don't think I never th- thought we could win. Some some people might have. I regret not putting a bet on when when Kathy was paying fifty dollars odds. But the uh, I didn't. I never thought we'd win. Really, I was like, okay, we'll, we'll run a good shot. We'll run a great campaign, and then next time around, we'll have established voice for Indo. We'll have established this this group. And the, over the three years, and this was coming into the beginning of the Abbott government. Over the beginning of the three years, those next three years, we would hold. Sophie Mirabella to account as voice for But on election night, we what started to happen is we started to get booth numbers in and we had scrutinies at every little booth. We had p- huge numbers of people out on polling day and and these booths are kind of you know, some of them are like 80, 80 votes and so like they start coming in. I remember I was setting up my computer because I was one of the people who was controlling the sort of tally room and it was like 6 o'clock and you know, the booth had only just closed and I thought I had a couple of hours hour or two to get ready. The phone started ringing from these small booths like we've won Bethanga, we've won. You know, Piri's Golf Spade. These these tiny, tiny little booths, which get counted in about twenty minutes. I'm like, oh wow, okay, that's that's funny. <laughs> uh, and then this started this. It just began this stampede. And then the, and the room, this little sort of side room of the party that we'd set up for the teleroom room, became the main party. Everyone was crowded in there. And each time we would get a booth rung in, we would we would, would yell out and try and find a volunteer from that area, and they and they'd come up and and announce the numbers from from that booth. And it was just this electric atmosphere. And and suddenly all the press. Which had been at Sophie Mirabella's party, which was turning very sour. Um, they flooded over here and were crowding in the room. There were cameras. There was uh, text coming in from Frank Kelly, who was on the ABC decision desk, asking what's going on because at this point, they the AEC had had decided to count a two-party preferred. So they decided to count Labor versus liberal which meant all the results all the data on the abc and on the national tally was wrong and so we had the real data of what the two party two candidate preferreds were looking like and so that meant suddenly all the cameras were in there and it was it was becoming incredibly incredibly tight and we got to towards the end of the night and we're like it was i was unclear um we were very close we'd won some of the big towns but we didn't have the pre-poll votes and that's and that was really the deciding factor so on election night, we didn't know um what the outcome was
0: wow but you did soon after, and she won, right? Yes, so, she yes. did. Let our <laughs> listeners know the fact that she won, and it was spectacular. Yeah. And there was tri- you know triumphant shouts because it was a pretty dark election for many people. Who yeah, were, uh,
1: it, 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 was. it was. I mean, that was, um, it was the only the only seat in the country where a lib- an incumbent Liberal lost their seat, and it was in fact really one of the only seats in the country where there was a swing against the Liberals. Um, mm. So it was mm. it was a it was a bright spot on a fairly dark day for a lot of people.
0: And so, look, just in the time that we've we've got left, I want to ask you to, you know, I mean, this is what we're interested in because, in part, because this is what's happening around the country, right? So, this idea of of independence contesting power in spaces where there's a real sense of disenchantment, you know, where people are just fed up with with modern politics, and often led. By female candidates in most of the places, in all the places, the the candidates are, are female. We've got lots of independents, independents running around the country. I want to, I want to, to me, there are two interesting challenges and dilemmas that are that are going to going to be faced by those people that, that, that you've seen because you've you've been part of Indi for so long. The first is the challenge uh, about what it means to go from running a campaign to actually governing. And the other one is about this question of scale. I want to talk to you about about what it was because Kathy went down to Parliament and what kind of a transition was that? You know, we've got a, all these independents from the country. You know, I'm sure they've got their fingers crossed that they might make it to Canberra. What kind of challenge faces them when when they when they roll up to Parliament House?
1: Well, on the, on the day where they, where the vote was it was announced where Sophie conceded, um, Kathy turned to me and two others, Cam and Leah, who'd been working on the campaign. And she said to us, would you, would you come work with me for the first, at least first six months while we get set up? And so we all agreed and we came along. And I remember that the shock, I guess, of, of walking into parliament house and there's there's a little school for, for new MPs. There's a little kind of like, like, um, like, like introduction to parliament for MPs, but like, there's not much like, and you, and you basically just have to walk in and figure out how this place works on your own really. And, and we were all of us just completely in over our heads. And Kathy, I think had Kathy was, uh, you know, this extraordinary pressure on, on her and extraordinary attention on her too, as this, as this kind of huge news story, this, and and she just fronted up there in Canberra and, and you've got to figure it out, and there's you know not not no one really shows you the ropes. Thankfully, there were some other members of the crossbench, like Andrew Wilkie's stuff and uh, Adam Band's stuff, you know, who were who are located nearby, and they were and they were helpful in, in kind of guiding us. But like unlike a party where you come in and you have you know a whole process, a whole support network that kind of that you know the party helps staff your office, the party you know in, like you know takes you along with them and 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 lets you sort of take a comfortable back seat as a backbencher while you while you get the ropes. But as a as an independent, as a crossbencher, you're there out on your own and the is on you from day one. And you and that's and that's a tough ask. And it's and it's very difficult to to get those like systems and processes and just to get your head around the the whole system. So it's a shock and think in some ways. But I and I think one of the things that Kathy really committed to doing was to bring the community of Indi with her. That she really wanted to throw open the curtain and say, "This is I I I didn't win this. You all did win this with me. Alone, not I wasn't alone." And to come with me and, and 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 you know that my office is always open and my office is the kind of gateway into the building. It's not a it's not a closed door for me to represent you. I will I will represent you, but I also want to give you direct access to the to the decision makers. And so, from early, very early on, there were. Uh, teams of volunteers. Anyone in the electorate could sign up, and they would come along and get to be, you know, get an unaccompanied pass for Parliament. They would, they would be in the office in in Canberra, and and would have that access to, to any if any minister or any uh, bureaucrat who they wanted to see to represent their own issues. They would Kathy would facilitate that, and they would and they would have that access. So I think that was a that was a shock for the Parliament too. It was a very different way of doing things, and that um, it did kind of uh, shake, I guess, some of the norms with the building too.
0: Yeah, because it's almost like she's placing herself as a partner to the electorate to empower everyone rather than as a, like Sophie Mirabella just taking care of business for them, Mm. completely different way of understanding politics. But it's not just her way of understanding politics, it came from the values that were generated out of the kitchen table conversations. Mm. So that's fascinating, right? So a different different kind of politics and that'll be the challenge, right? So we've got these more beautiful independents, you know, um, Kathy McGowan's run has inspired a change process that's really taken the nation by storm. Not only is your mum in parliament, which is awesome, but which is also re- re- remarkable for an independent to hand to an independent. Let's just note that just never happens in Australian politics, but it happened in India. because. I would suggest because of the movement that sat underneath. But now across the country in, in a series of seats that could be winnable, we've got independents running. So, there's, so what are your thoughts? Tell, tell us your thoughts. As someone who's been in this movement for the beginning, I can, I'm can i sure that there's both inspiring and also challenging to see something that was so deeply local scale to the extent that it has. What are your ref- Tell us your reflections on, on the sort of the you know the challenges and the opportunities that are coming from this um, the teal independence and their and their you know taking over of Australian politics.
1: You know, had you have asked me in twenty thirteen, is this replicable? Is it is is it scalable? I think I would have probably I would have maybe said no. Like I I, I, to, I think it, in in some ways it felt so specific to the the geography of India the, the political kind of. Context of India, I, I couldn't see how this would scale elsewhere. And I think, in some ways, and I, I think perhaps if you had asked asking could it happen in other regional seats? I might have said yes, because I think the, the 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 big thing that I took away from that first campaign was just how ripe and ready regional australia is for political organizing and campaigning i mean it just it just was a case of there's just such deeply embedded social capital and such strong civic institutions in 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 the country and and also strong local media that you have that's just a case of like it is actually ready for political organizing and and as soon as a you know a a credible candidate comes in like watch it set on fire Um, whereas to me did that would that happen in the city i would have probably said maybe not like to me i, I, I guess it seems like you know with, in the city with its concentrated media markets and you know less i guess direct connection necessarily to the to the to the geographic you know the, the artificial geographic boundary you are put in as, a, as an electorate like it doesn't make much sense in the in the actual way that cities function like your electorate is not really a relevant place like it's it only exists once every it's 3 a random years. loop
0: of 90,000 yeah. people.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I, I I guess I would have thought like maybe this can't happen in the city because we're too distributed, we're too sort of spread out. But we've seen the fact that it clearly can. I mean, I think like the just the extraordinary turnout and engagement of volunteers in some of these, you know, quote-unquote teal seats is, I think, extraordinary. And I think that it just shows that I guess there's no – that like we shouldn't take any t- shouldn't take it for granted. I guess that we, we've had we've had a two party system for all this time, and we've and, and we have just accepted that that's the norm. But perhaps that is not the norm, and actually that that can shift. You know, like multi party parliaments and and multi party governments are common in you know all throughout Europe and other democracies. We've just accepted for a long time here that it's that it's just two two options and that's it. But I think clearly I think we've seen that as as the parties in some ways have gravitated to more similar ground, and in others that they've like you know perhaps changed or you know abandoned their their base over time that though the people are seeking an alternative option and that perhaps it's actually less to do with um you know the geography and context which I you know which was very specific to India and actually there's some there's some universality there that people do want a better that it's actually perhaps it's more about the values really like that you know if we if we talk about the original values of voice for india the in like Quality of leadership, like actual representation, um, a focus on local issues, and you know, but and also the national imports, not parochialism. Like it's you know, yes, represent local issues, but keep the keep the broader interests in mind. These are these are kind of things which I think people can relate to. An absence of those in their seats throughout the country, and maybe it's actually more about that than it is about the kind of specific um, the context of Indo.
0: Yeah, and maybe one of those values is to respect and build a politics out of local environment as it is, you know what Mm. I mean? Like to, to respect. And so therefore it's always going to look different, this kind of movement in different places, because the places are really different. You know, what you do in Beringa is going to be different to what you do in Indai. but the idea of having a values-based politics, maybe that is something that, Mm. I mean, people are not just searching for it in Australia. We see it through you know the Fearless Cities movement that runs throughout Europe, based out of Barcelona, even you know more ideologically, but the Justice Democrats did such a similar process of advertising in the paper for candidates. I think they used the internet, but you know, mm-hmm. like that, those ideas of searching out spaces for different kinds of people practicing different kinds of politics. That feels like some that feels like something that is growing and growing around the world.
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you're absolutely right, and I think and I think the other, the other thing is that. Uh, I reckon the old right-left labels are becoming less useful. I mean, like Indi is, you know, should you know, was labelled as a conservative, a very conservative seat, but actually, what we found is that people don't really buy into that very much. Like they actually, like, you know, every time, including this election, the, the the Liberal Party have have rolled out ads saying that you know, Kathy McGowan. Is a is a Labour Green stooge, and this time around they're, they're saying actually that 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 Kathy McGowan was was not, and Helen Haynes really is. And you know, it's it, the point is like no one really actually buys, and it, it didn't work those times, and I don't think it work, it's It's going to work this time because people don't really buy into that. They actually see like, okay, well, I may not actually agree with everything this person stands for, but if I can understand why they're standing and I can trust them, I'm happy to have some disagreements on you know some some issues and those kind of fragmented issues that I think that elections are run on, those really hot button issues, like I don't know if they actually carry as much power. Um, Like I think people are willing to put those aside even if they have differing views, if they actually uh, agree on some fundamentals in terms of the representative they're choosing.
0: Yes. And if you've got an enormous social network of people who are engaged, so you're not just relying on some random billboard or an ad you see on the internet, but actually there's friend your friends and your social network and people in your organizations are part of this that 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 kind of connection b- beats the superficial you know blathering argumentative stuff that they might see on television anyway
1: absolutely i mean you can't like you you just can't argue against the power of of seeing just like you know Right now in India, there are these billboards everywhere, but you, but you can't see really anyone on the ground. Like you know, for the Liberal Party, there's just they're, they're so thin in terms of people. But whereas you see in front of these 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 attack signs, you'll see just dozens and dozens and dozens of people in orange shirts, and the, the strength of those numbers in compared to you know what is a sort of aerial campaign really of attack ads or. It's, it it just it just doesn't compare, and I think people see through that. Yeah, I think that 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 that's that's the kind of fundamental power. So I think if I think the seats will see, who knows what will happen next week? But I think the seats will see the dangerous
0: prediction go on. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Like I think like the intensity, I guess, of support and of and of the strength of the local networks. I think is maybe that will be the predictor of of of, of the campaigns that succeed.
0: And not and hopefully it doesn't only herald interesting electoral outcomes, which is great. But actually, what. What, what a magnificent thing it would be is if it, if it suggested a new way for us to be able to do politics. Absolutely. Nick, it has been a delight and a pleasure to learn more about, about Indy and your work within it. Thank you so much for coming on the Changemakers.
1: Thanks for having me, Amanda.
0: Changemakers is hosted by me, Amanda Tattersall. Remember to subscribe to this podcast to catch all our episodes. This is season six of Changemakers, so there's also plenty in our back catalogue to inspire. If you're interested in Voices for Indi, you can pre-order their book called The People Are Interested in Politics from Laneway Press. The discount code for our listeners is Changemakers. Changemakers is produced by Lachlan Hodson. Our audio producer is Jules Wookerer. Our series sponsor is the Sydney Policy Lab at the University of Sydney they break down barriers between researchers, policymakers and community campaigners so we can build change together. Check them out at sydney.edu.au/policy-lab. backslash Like us on Facebook at Changemakers Podcast and check out changemakerspodcast.org for transcripts and updates on all of our stories. And don't forget to take a look at our organizing school if you want to take a deeper dive into the art of changemaking.